Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I hope you guys are all doing well today. I am back with a conversation I think you guys will really enjoy. I'm talking to my buddy, Gabriel Hughes. Gabe, how's it going, man? Hey, doing wonderful. It is uh, beautiful weather here in East Texas. We're finally done with our triple digit highs, so I'm enjoying the cools. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get after it, getting to know you a little bit, and then we'll talk life and ministry. So let's pray. Wonderful. Father, we thank you for this time. We ask for blessing upon this conversation. Thank you so much for what you have done and are doing in the life of uh, Gabe and all that is going on in Texas and then online. And when you understand the text and just everything that's that your blessing through his ministry and God, we pray you would continue to do that and expand that. Bless this conversation this time. We trust that you're going to. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, brother, for those that may not be familiar with you, and I have some crossover listeners with the Shepherd's Crick podcast and then with the Majesty's Men show. So many of the people that listen to me may have heard our conversation on the Majesty's Men, but for the sake of my audience that hasn't and is not that familiar with you, go ahead and bring us up to speed. Tell us a little bit about yourself and then your family and then what it is that you do. Yeah, so I live in East Texas. I spent most of my life in Kansas when I became a pastor. Uh, I was a pastor for 10 years at a Southern Baptist church there in Kansas. Uh, we had moved out to Kansas when I was younger. I originally grew up on the East Coast. I was born in South Carolina, but my dad used to travel around and plant Christian radio stations. So that's what brought us to Kansas. And we thought it was going to be the sort of a thing where he would plant another station and then God would call us on to another place to plant yet another Christian station. But Kansas was where I stayed. I was there for over 20 years. Met a Kansas gal. We got married, had Kansas kids. Uh, it was, it was th uh, this woman that the Lord used to put into my heart the desire to become a pastor. I had no desire to do that. Oh, wow. Although, although through the Christian radio ministry that I was in, I did a lot of pulpit supply in fact, over the course of about 10 years, I preached in well over 100 churches, uh, but I did not have that desire to, to be in one church and just settle in that one place. It was really my wife that um, uh, the Lord used to move me into that mindset. I had, a, I guess, a lot of uh, my own selfishness and personal ambitions and dreams <laughs> that I had to repent of before uh, hearing the Lord's will in that respect. So anyway, uh, became a pastor there uh, in, in, in Junction City, Kansas, enjoyed it immensely. It was a wonderful 10 years. I'm friends with Tom Buck, have known him for years, and he had uh, asked me about coming and joining him and being part of his ministry in Lindale, Texas, and everything just kind of seemed right for that. So I, we've since moved to East Texas. I've been here for almost two years now, where I'm the pastor of discipleship and uh, education. I oversee all of the education departments, whether it's adults or children here at First Baptist Church in Lindale. My wife is um, uh, a wonderful woman who has mothered five children of ours now. Awesome. <laughs> we, we came to Texas with four kids and, uh, and we added another. Um, it, so Texas is, uh, everything's bigger in Texas, they say, even the Hughes family. We had to <laughs> add to our family here as well. Gotcha. Well, that's great. And the radio voice has carried over from the radio into the podcast world and into the YouTube world. So go and tell us about when you understand the text, because some of the things you grew up with, you've continued to do, it seems like. And so tell us a little bit about what you got going on on the internet world as well. 
Yeah, I had no ambition to do that. Uh, I thought when I left broadcasting, which would have been in 2010, I thought that was it. I, uh, my broadcasting years were over, and my focus and emphasis now was just going to be on the local church, being a pastor and and feeding my own flock. But uh, it was through uh, uh, you know witnessing some things in my own congregation of people listening to sermons and, you know, I'm watching their heads nod through the sermon, but then they're going home and they're posting things on social media, contrary to what we had just talked about. Mm -hmm. I saw you nodding your head in agreement. And yet yeah. now you're throwing something on the internet with it's the opposite of what you heard in the sermon today. And so I was venting about that with a friend. I admit that I was complaining about it. And he said to me, well, why don't you make your own videos? Okay. And it was like, it never occurred to me to do anything like that. And so long story short, that's where, when we understand the text, uh, when we understand the text came from abbreviated, what we didn't uh, initially try to call it what, you know, uh, but it was somebody, a friend of mine that noticed, Hey, when you abbreviate that it spells WWUTT, look at that. So we started every <laughs> video with that, uh, with, with that funny what sound effect. And um, uh, then from, so that was just responding to things in my own congregation. I never expected that to be, you know, the millions of views that we have on those videos now. It was uh, just, you know, a couple hundred views or something like that is really the right. way that it started. Todd Friel was the one that blew it up because oh, he really? found the okay. videos. Yep. Started playing them on Wretched and then people started following the channel after that. In 2015, it turned into the podcast, which my wife and I have been doing together now for over seven years, uh, over 1,700 episodes, which is just a That's daily incredible. coming to the Bible and opening it up and doing a proper exposition of the text. And uh, and so I'm I'm so blessed that uh, again, never thought that I would carry over my broadcast experience into being a pastor. I really thought that it was just the Christian radio background grew me in a knowledge of the Word which yeah. then became uh, being called into local church ministry. And I thought that was as far as the connection was going to go, but it's wonderful the way that the Lord has used my radio background in order to do uh, biblical exposition on the internet. Yeah, very cool. Well, quick question about your father. Is your father still in the radio world? He is not. He got out a couple of years ago, and it really okay. was not by his choosing. It was, it you know, just things... <laughs> Things are changing, and especially yeah. when it comes to uh, the internet and broadcast and all that kind of thing, people look for fresh blood. Uh, uh, there's not really um, uh, this mindset in the radio world of, hey, we need to go back to the old guys and get their wisdom into how we should do this the right way. Nobody's doing that. They're all looking at new numbers, fresh things, uh, uh, the new demographics as people and populations are constantly changing, then there's a need for that constantly changing mindset. So the guys and the old way that they did it, they're just not uh, not a resource for uh, a lot of people in broadcasting, yeah, uh, especially sure. with digital media and everything like that. So my dad just unfortunately was was forced out of that, but he gave over 50 years to it. Wow. Uh, as a matter of fact, the national religious broadcasters recognized him for over 50 years of ministry the same year that they recognized John MacArthur for 50 years wow. uh, of ministry at Grace to You. So I was uh, I was Very able cool. to that award ceremony, and it was neat. Like my dad's receiving his award, and there's Phil Johnson receiving on behalf of John MacArthur. It, it was just uh, a wonderful uh, experience to be there for that. That is special. Very cool. Well, that's awesome that he was able to do that for so long, faithfully for so long, and then really train you up in that. So yeah. it sounds like pretty early then, it was just a, kind of a natural thing for you just to do radio work 
it sounds like you, I mean, did you get a, a radio spot pretty young or did you just help yeah. your dad and get, I mean, what did you do to cut your teeth in that whole work? I had my own radio show from the age of seven. No so from, That's awesome. from seven to 29, which was 22 years of ministry, uh, of ministry and Christian radio, I had my own show. And, and it was a, a friend of mine who was an associate pastor. He was a youth pastor at the church that I would end up pastoring for 10 years. He knew me from Christian radio. We'd had lots of conversations. So he just apparently knew, okay, this guy just isn't a fluff DJ on the air. He actually knows his stuff. Yeah. And he was yeah. the one that called me and said, we have an associate pastor position open. And I think that you should apply for it. And originally I passed up on it. And then it was my wife who said, no, you're going to apply for that. So, <laughs> so I did and, and went through the process and, and, uh, you know, just through prayer and realizing that this was really what it was that, that I needed to do next, that, uh, I left broadcasting, which I wanted to do anyway. I already had the desire to, to get out of broadcasting. I didn't want to do it for the rest of my life. I just didn't think being a pastor was going to be the next step. Yeah. Interesting. Well, your wife, then God uses, uses her to bring you into pastoral ministry. Did you have a group of people around you? I'm assuming of men who identified, they already apparently identified this ministry, you know, this faithful ministry that you'd been doing and, and then you'd had opportunities to preach. So you've been preaching regularly. Was it pretty quick when you guys made that decision that you ran in that direction, that other people were around you where you had men that came along and said, yes, we see this, we see you're called to this work and we want to affirm that in you and, uh, and help you along in this work. It was, uh, uh, it was unintentionally long. Uh, I think if, if I had understood in the very beginning, yes, uh, pastor, that's where I need to go next, then it probably would have been a fast process. Okay. But because yeah. of my stubbornness, it was, it was unintentionally slow, but it needed to be. So I'm, I'm glad for that. Looking back on that experience, that I was at least stubborn enough not to just immediately jump into, okay, yes, let's do this, which may have been an irresponsible move. It wouldn't have been good for me. It would not have been good for the church. After all, uh, 1 Timothy 3, where Paul is giving qualifications for elders, he says uh, that, that uh, an elder or an overseer of the church shouldn't be somebody that's a recent convert. Now, yeah. I certainly wasn't a recent convert, uh, but it, it would have been the sort of a thing where jumping into that too quickly might have been bad for my ego. And, and so uh, having to do that slow, uh, uh, having to rely on other men and not doing it according to what I felt was the best decision to make uh, and going through those convictional experiences and things like that, being, being very well tested before I moved into that position um, uh, is by the providence of God that it worked out that way because it certainly was not by our own human wisdom. Yeah. Gotcha. Man, it's cool to see and, and hear how God works like that and brings you into the, the things that he has for you. And, you know, we collect stories like that of how God worked in us. And, and then in each pastor's history, when you hear their story, it's just neat to see how there's common things that are there. And then there's a unique path that God brings us on. And uh, he's personal like that. Okay, let's go into a few things. You have, um, I think, been very faithful to provoke with without being a provocateur to not shy away from fights without being quarrelsome. And I have watched from afar you doing faithful work in the public square. And the hope is the people that you see in the public, in the public square are also faithful in the private world as well. And now you have at, at church that you're serving down in First Baptist with Tom Buck. You've been in faithful pastoral ministry for, for many years now, but then you have this public ministry as well. And one of the things I think is important for pastors, and as the Shepherd's Crook has developed, 
we started as more of a pastoral care ministry where I'm speaking directly to pastors. And what's what's developed over the last few years has been hmm. a kind of a, a morphing of the ministry into a pastor courage ministry to call people and call men in particular as they're listening, uh, even if they're not pastors, up into what God has them uh, to do, and which is just basic faithfulness in all of life, not just within the church, but at their work and anywhere they go, they want to be faithful to God's word. And we wanted to call them up into that. And what I've seen from you is people hating on you and getting canceled from Twitter and getting in trouble everywhere you go. But it hasn't been because you've been a blowhard. There's been some intentionality behind that. So you mentioned a little bit connecting some of the dots with uh, when you when we understand the text to the real life questions that people had in the local church. What is the what is your uh, philosophy, I guess, of ministry when it comes to being a, uh, you know, provoking with God's word without being a provocateur? Um, this is my language, and I'm trying to t- describe what I see you doing. Sure. And okay. to, to pick fights without being somebody that's quarrelsome. So explain that, because I think a lot of guys end up being just a blowhard without having intentionality behind what they're doing. And I think you have this uh, spirit-led intentionality that's quite helpful. Kind of explain that to us and walk us through that, if you would. Okay. So first of all, you, you've you got to be grounded on the truth. I mean, you absolutely have to have it resolved in your mind that the Bible is God's word, and it is therefore absolutely authoritative for every single person, whether they believe it or not. I mean, a pastor has to be fixed on that. He has to be fixed on that for the benefit of his own congregation. It is not beneficial to the people of God at all, if he would waffle on any of these texts and try to nuance it and try to say, well, this doesn't apply to everybody. No, it's authoritative to everyone. Now, it may serve in different contexts to different people. Like, for example, going back to what we had talked about before regarding the qualifications for overseer in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Well, those things directly apply to men who are being tested for the position of overseer. They indirectly apply to those people who are not going to be overseers, but they have to know those instructions to test those men according to those qualifications. So therefore, that text is authoritative for everybody. Everyone has to follow that authority. It is therefore the word of God. So when it comes to engaging in the public square and some of these uh, different issues that we have coming up, uh, you know, that will often be categorized political, but they're not. They're moral issues, especially right. when we're talking about uh, marriage, sexuality, abortion. All of those things are moral. Doesn't matter what political opinions may be behind them. We're making judgments as Christians from according to what the text says. Therefore, our foundation is truth, and we have to start from that foundation and end on that foundation. And so engaging those things in the public square, uh, whenever you are that confident and that sure this is right and this is wrong based on what the Bible says, the people in the culture are going to find that offensive. They are uh, immediately going to be offended by it. It does not matter how you say it. It doesn't matter your tone. It doesn't matter whether you are belittling or you're trying to approach it kindly. But the instruction that we are given in Scripture First Peter 3.15, we must give an answer for the hope that lies within us, but do this with gentleness and respect. Mm-hmm. And I missed the first part of that verse. It says, in your heart, set apart Christ as holy. So <laughs> that instruction there is even know the truth and be grounded on it first, and then give an answer for the hope that lies within you with gentleness and respect. Same instruction Paul gives to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.25, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. 
he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may grant repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. God may grant repentance, Mm -hmm. not by our ability to belittle another person or make them feel small and then bash them over the head with our truth, you know, so to speak. It is you are speaking the truth and you are doing it in a kind way. You're, you're doing it because you care for the person's soul and you don't want them to come into judgment and perish because what they believed were the lies of Satan rather than the truth of God. Our confidence is in this word. Our confidence is not in ourselves to beat the other person. It is in God who transforms the heart to change them from darkness into light. And so when that's our confidence, when our confidence is in the word of God and in the work of God, then that strengthens us and gives us the confidence to respond kindly to a person and, and not by uh, uh, trying to belittle or, or shout them down or out-argue them or get blood on our theological sword and be able to declare victory or anything else. Uh, the ultimate goal is to glorify God. And yeah, so amen. even in the answers that we give, let it be that. So it, it, as Paul said to the Corinthians, that way it will not be by words of eloquent wisdom that we win a person, but rather simply by preaching Christ and him crucified. Yeah, yes and amen. And I think it's important to note that the perception of gentleness and respect by those that are hearing the word is not the measurement of whether or not we are answering in gentleness and respect. When we are faithful to the word, the tone police often argue it, oh, the way we say something, and it certainly is the case that we want to say things with gentleness and respect, but the tone police want to say if people don't receive it as gentle or respectful. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it's not gentle and respectful. And one of the things I think that you do well, even in your online ministry that people are upset with, is you're always kind, you're polite, you're saying the truth and letting the truth be the thing that is offensive if somebody is offensive. And I think that's a model for how we should conduct ourselves, not just in the public square, but also, you know, in private life and even in counseling within a local church is we want the word to do the work. We don't want to intentionally go out and be offensive, but it is offensive when God speaks to a world that hates him. In fact, the Bible tells us it's going to be the case over and over again. And I think there's a a weird somehow or another within the church world, and this is nothing that's cutting edge or hot take or anything like that, but it has certainly been the case that in the big evil world, the whole idea is if you can get the world to like you, if you can get them to lean in, then they will respect what you have to say and somehow be drawn to the Christian message the word of God is going to be offensive to the world. What is it? Spurgeon said the same sun that melts the ice hardened the clay and, and the word of God is going to do the work in that way. So for you, you've experienced the cancelization from, are you completely banned from Twitter now? Are you only allowed on Gab? Is that pretty much how it is? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So I, I will post things on Gab. One of the benefits about Gab is I can, I've got more characters so I can post a bigger block of text. And then uh, the, the Twitter account, the what, the Whatcom Twitter account was started by somebody else several years ago uh, and just asked me, hey, do you mind if I start a, uh, a Twitter account that is that's got the what name on it? We can attach the podcast to it and all that kind of thing so people can get the what materials through Twitter because we had had that on Facebook and we also had a what Twitter account uh, that I, I uh, somebody else had started it the first time. Okay. And then when I took it over, I over a period of time, I just eventually changed it to my name. So then it got turned into Pastor Gabe. 
Well, then there wasn't a what Twitter account. So somebody asked me if they could start one. And I said, yes. So that wasn't me. I wasn't the one that started that. Uh, I can't even have Twitter on my phone with my phone number in it or Twitter will <laughs> block me. I mean, that's part of the ban. After you. They've said that if I even try to start another account, they'll ban me. I can use another email address, but you got to know I've got haters on Twitter that are absolutely not going to let me get away with that. They're going to they're right, going right. to turn me in if I try to start another account. Right. So, uh, so anyway, yeah, I can post on Gab and then I'll screenshot that and, uh, and, you know, grateful for the, what Twitter account it's my ministry and they're, they're going to do what I asked them to anyway, but uh, grateful they'll take that and kind of stick that on there and, and, uh, uh, nice. still able to communicate through, uh, still able to cause trouble on Twitter, even though I'm there not on you go. Twitter. You, so you did a really great video about a week and a half ago. At least that's when I saw it on the subject of Christian nationalism that some people don't want to touch with a 10 foot pole. Oh yeah. And then there's these definitions that are abounding and you ask one person what a definition of, of Christian nationalism is, and they'll give you an answer and you get, get another answer from somebody else. But when you begin to peel back the layers of Christian nationalism, as you did the word itself, Christian and nationalism, what does this mean? You start to scratch your head a little bit and think like, now what's wrong with that? And one of the things I, really appreciated about your video is the conciseness of it. And I think the helpful definitions that you brought to bear and the thing that I have been labeled, which is a Christian nationalist from the, the city council meeting and was labeled a Christian nationalist and a jihadist and all this kind of stuff, simply <laughs> because I opened the Bible and said that the Bible is authoritative in the issue of the murder of babies in the womb. Oh yeah. And so the label is coming to us no matter what. And yet you gave this definition and I'm not really that scared of the label. I'm just not scared of it at all. Why don't you go ahead and, and just talk through that a little bit of what the process was for you leading up to making the decision. I'm going to make a video on this Christian nationalism thing. And, and what is this thing? So just kind of walk us through your thought process leading up to making that video. Well, I actually did that twice. There was a two minute version and then there was a minute and a half version. Okay. Uh, and I, uh, the, the two minute version is still out there if anybody's using the link to post it, but it's, it's not like on the list of what videos anymore. I stuck with the minute and a half version. And the reason I changed it was just because uh, the first time I was really examining it more from a, a cultural perspective, whereas the second video was very much more so from a scriptural perspective. And since the ministry is called When We Understand the Text, I, I wanted to, to settle on examining it through scripture rather than uh, examining it from, from the cultural ways that term will get used and things like that. Because you definitely have two different uses of the term. Mm -hmm. Christians who are critical of Christian nationalism use it one way, and the world is using it a completely different way. And the Christians who are using it critically don't seem to want to recognize that the way the world is using it, uh, the, the, the worldly usage of Christian nationalism, they're covering all of Christianity under that term. Exactly. If you believe that life begins at conception and you believe that marriage should be between a man and a woman, and the law should actually reflect protecting and upholding those things, mm -hmm. then you're going to be called a Christian nationalist Absolutely. just for believing what the Bible says. Yep. Uh, and that, that's, what, that's the way the world uses that term. And, it, and very unfortunately, there are Christians that are attacking one another over this simply because they would make political decisions based on what the Bible says. And in, in, I mean, what other basis are we supposed to go off of? Exactly. It's, it's absurd. Exactly to try to criticize that as Christian nationalism, that somehow now it's wrong for a Christian to want our nation to actually be Christianized. 
Yeah, exactly. Which in the history of our nation and nations around the world, to any historian out there, they know that the Bible has been used in the public square and especially in our country. You know, when people get up in arms about, well, we're not a Christian nation and nations can't be Christianized and all this kind of stuff. But it's like when you have a lot of Christians that come together in an area, what is that? And certainly it is the case that that America does not have a soul. But when this country from the very beginning stages was founded, there was such a, I mean, it was 98% Protestant. When you have whole states, all the colonies having an official state Christian denomination religions. And that's what's driving me crazy about this conversation right now is you just say anything with the Bible open to non-Christians. And then people say that's Christian nationalism. And then you have a bunch of people that are, are saying, yeah, that is, we should stay away from that. And it's like, wait a minute, doesn't the scriptures have any authority at all to people that are non-Christians? Doesn't the scriptures yeah. have any authority at all in the public square? So I think that's where the big, everybody's going back and forth is, okay, to what degree does it have authority in the civic realm. And so for you, a lot of people have recovered. I don't know if this has been the case with you as well, but Sphere Sovereignty, Abraham Kuyper. Uh, I read that book a couple of years ago. Now it was uh, at the end of 2018, I believe, when I read that book, the last book I read that year. It really helped me understand, okay, wait a minute, spheres of authority. And then, you know, I know that people have differing views on Van Til and even Francis Schaefer or RJ Rush Dooney. I know people have views on that and getting to pretty significant arguments and fights. But one of the things those guys really did well was helping define different roles of authority within all of yes. life and how right. God has determined government to work, not just at the civic level, but from individual self-control level to the family government, and then to the church government, and then to the civil government. And for you, has there been, has 2020 driven you to study things that you hadn't studied before when it comes to either sphere sovereignty, if, if you don't have that language, then some sort of sovereignty of understanding government in a more fully biblical way? It really didn't. Um, okay. It, 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 Probably, uh, if anything, it prompted me to speak about those issues more, but I wouldn't say that I necessarily studied into those things more. I was, I was very blessed in that, you know, again, going back to my Christian radio background, in Christian radio, we were playing not only programs from like Adrian Rogers and Woodrow Kroll and J. Vernon McGee. You know, these were the these were my Bible teachers growing up. I was listening okay. to those guys on the radio every day. Yeah. But we also we were also playing uh, political uh, you know, sounding radio talk shows with with Christian men and women who were on those shows talking about political issues and how Christians should be thinking about those things. I mean, if anybody, you know, goes back to the 90s in Christian radio, 80s and 90s, you know, uh, Dr. James Dobson. Oh, yeah. And he was he was certainly somebody who was not uh, he would never shy away from a political issue because it had bearing on the family. Yeah, it's focus it's on the family. If it's a political issue that has something to do with the family, then he was going to address it. He was going to talk about it. I was a big fan of Chuck Colson growing up, and Chuck Colson was the one that got me turned on to Francis Schaefer. So I was I was reading those things at a really young age, uh, and you know, awesome. just by the providence of God that I was I got into that. I didn't I didn't really get into Rush Dooney or reading anything from him or from Bonson or anybody like that until uh, you know five five or eight years ago or something. Gotcha. But, but otherwise, I mean, yeah, 2020 didn't really change my view on uh, the, the realm of government, the realm of the church, you know, spheres, as, as we might use the word. Uh, I'm grateful that in my uh, upbringing of studying the scripture and hearing from learned men, that I already kind of had those things in my mind. And yeah, so when phenomenal. these issues started coming up in 2020, there just simply was absolutely no question. Uh, I was astonished when 
it was the governor of Kentucky. Who was who? Who is the governor of Kentucky? It, I forget. In Kentucky, name escapes all of a sudden. I yeah, yeah. I can't remember either. Uh, but he he was the first one publicly who said because of this looming pandemic that churches were going to have to shut down, that people weren't going to be able to go to church. And when I heard him say that, uh, Bashir, I think Governor Bashir might okay. might have been the name. Anyway, when I heard him say that, I was like, there's no way, no way my Christian brothers are going to be doing that, my fellow pastors. And I was amazed within hours, there were guys that were coming online going, yep, we're going to have to do it. We're going to have yeah. to we're going to have to exercise our, our Romans 13 submission, and we're going to have to do what the government says, and, and we need to shut down our churches. I could not believe it. And and the question for me was just, it just wasn't even there. It was like, no, mm. we're not shutting our doors. Absolutely yeah. not. Awesome. Now, like you were you were talking earlier, um, I don't I don't try to be inflammatory <laughs> with, mm-hmm. with any decision that I make or words that I say. I'm really not trying to cause a controversy. I just know that there's going to be one because yeah. I'm standing on the truth of what God's word says. So we as a church, when I was pastoring up in Kansas, I didn't make a public case about it. I didn't I didn't post it online. Well, it was online. I mean, there were videos that I was making for my church and saying, hey, we're still having church this weekend. They were public videos. You just had to look for them in order to find them. I, I wasn't posting them all over the place. I wasn't trying to be a nuisance. I was just saying, we're going to have our doors open. So if you want to come to church, we're here. I'm going to preach. Uh, if the if this pandemic really is a threat, if there really is a danger here, take the precautions that are necessary to protect yourself and protect your family. But as long as I can get to the church and open those doors, I'm going to be standing in the pulpit and That's preaching good. God's word. And so we continue to do it. Our numbers were way down, of course. Um, I did have people in my congregation who had pre-existing conditions. And they said, I am concerned about, you know, potentially catching something respiratory. It, it would be uh, life-threatening to me. And I would right. tell them, I'm not going to hold that against you. Take what precautions that you need to uh, just know that the, the church is open and I'm preaching and we never shut the church down. Uh, now there were different pastors that had to assess different things. John MacArthur, for example, he did close his church in the very beginning, but then realized what a sham this was Yeah, right. <laughs> and then exactly. opened the doors back up and it became the controversy that it did in California and praise God for that. I mean, yeah. the, the Lord yeah. used that. And the fact that he shut his church down in the beginning demonstrated that he was not trying to be uh, uh, some sort of a rebellious nuisance. He really did in the very beginning in obedience to Romans 13. I'm going to listening. I'm going to listen to the governing authorities to start off here. But then once he realized, okay, this isn't this isn't on the level like they said that it was. We're yeah, going yeah. back to church. We're obeying God rather than man, and opening the doors. And uh, and you know, grateful for the outcome uh, that that whole controversy became. Yeah, it seemed but, like somebody had slipped him Matthew Trella's work, the Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates, or something like that, at some point along the way, because there was a, a pretty significant shift when MacArthur's public response to everything. And I was curious as to the behind the scenes where he was pulling from, because even some old videos that you'd seen from MacArthur, he had mentioned the American Revolution was much like the French Revolution in the sense that it was unlawful biblically and that we were violating Romans 13. And so I was curious, I was curious if his whole perspective on that now has changed as well, uh, seeing that we were actually in the Revolutionary War, we were actually holding people accountable to the to the law of the land. So it's just an interesting conversation. But yeah, I think in the, in the future, and it's so great to hear that you were prepared for this beforehand, because I think now we have an opportunity as pastors and for people listening in and, and for everything that last couple of years has been for us to be trained for 
anything in the future that may come down uh, down the line, which most assuredly will. But th this whole piece of Christian nationalism thing, if there was, for instance, COVID round two or three, just staying open and saying we are going to gather as God's people will get you that label as well. Anything right. from this point forward, when it comes to say, saying that the Bible, that Jesus is Lord over Caesar, and we're not going to obey, you're going to get that label and it's going to keep growing. I think it's going to continue to be this, this negative connotation that's just thrown on all Christians as a whole. And if we don't embrace that and say, fine, you can call us whatever you want to call us. Uh, and we're not okay with that. We will continue to bow and we will continue to disobey God on the altar of so-called public witness or on the altar of Romans 13, uh, or at least a twisted version of Romans 13 or a twisted understanding. In fact, a couple months ago, or actually, I think this was about, uh, I don't know, uh, four or five months ago, I wrote this, three easy steps to avoid being called a radical Christian nationalist. Number one, <laughs> don't say Jesus Christ is Lord over Caesar. Number two, yeah. don't sing the Psalms. And number three, apologize for the Bible. Yeah, Re absolutely. Regularly take the posture of, I'm sorry it says this, but this is what it says, and this is what we got to go with, but I'm really sorry. And if you just do those three things, simple things, don't say Jesus is Lord, you know, don't sing the Psalms uh, about God crushing the, the, you know, the teeth of his enemies and, and then just start apologizing for the Bible. Uh, you won't get that label. Yeah. Yeah. Just yesterday in church, uh, I led the pastoral prayer and we prayed for the next uh, incoming session of the United States Supreme Court, because uh, on the day that we're recording this, the next session of the Supreme Court begins today. And so we prayed about that in church, and I read from Psalm 9, put fear in them, O Yahweh, let the nations know that they are but men, and that yeah. it is from the throne of God that he judges the nations. Yeah. Praying that from my pulpit and saying that over the United States Supreme Court, absolutely, that'll get me labeled a Christian nationalist. Absolutely, yeah. Well, this is, uh, I think, a good conversation, and I think there's one thing that has been a growing divide, I think, in the uh, reform world, at least on the internet, and that's over this er area of eschatology. And I am post-millennial, have been since 2018, and it was David Chilton, Paradise Restored, that did that for me, and yeah. had been working through some just some eschatology stuff over the years, and read Sam Storm's book, Kingdom Come. Just curious, are, are you a classic pre-mill guy? Is that where you're at, or where where are you with your eschatology? I'm millennial and you're I'm off. very uh, pessimistic on top okay. of that. So, <laughs> okay. So you're a pe so, but here's the deal. Okay. A pessimistic Amil guy. And we've had these conversations going on with uh, some people in our church and we've had just fun conversations over the last few years. And yet we're fighting in the same direction. And I think that's critical for us to see when it comes to the things that you're doing and the work that you're doing. And when we see the work, for instance, that the guys out in Ogden are doing, and Brian's a friend of mine, Eric Kahn and Dan Burkholder, and the spear is going out and God's word is going into the public square. And there's a lot of folks in the post-millennial world that are saying, you know, that's really why you can address the non-believing world is your our eschatology, optimistic eschatology. That's the only way forward. And I actually like talking with other folks like yourself. You're saying uh, I'm a pessimistic, I'm a millennialist, and yet we're fighting in the same direction. And mm -hmm. we're saying God's word's authoritative everywhere. Absolutely. There is no nook and cranny of the world that we can say, yeah, but God's word doesn't touch that particular place or that particular people. That is so important for us to understand moving forward, because I think there's going to be continu continuing to be splinters and fissures over eschatology, over theonomy, God's law moving forward. And you even see these squabbles over the natural law and Aquinas and all this stuff that's going on with Barcelos folks of the world and James White of the world, where it's like stuff that's like, man, what in the world are we doing when there's so much good work that we can be doing together? And so just to make a point, Gabe is not 
post millennial and yet there's great <laughs> stuff going on and he's out there fighting the good fight and doing what God's calling to do and doing some really great work. So Absolutely. well done, brother. Yeah. Yeah. I, I expect to lose every cultural battle that I fight. I, I just expect that to happen. Matthew chapter seven, Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. Our way is always going to be the narrow road. The apostle Paul saying in second Timothy chapter three, those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And, and so I know that these, uh, the, the backlash, the hate, uh, all of this is going to come from the world. I already expect that, but my obedience is to God's word. I'm still going to declare he is king of the nations. Yeah. And if, and really, if God is going to revive America, if revival sweeps across the United States of America, that's by the will of God. Yeah. If, yeah. if I'm out there proclaiming the gospel, and it's through that God is going to bring revival. That's his work. But if I'm out there proclaiming the gospel and through that God is going to bring judgment, that's also his work. So our declaration of the word of God is, uh, is bringing people into the kingdom. I absolutely believe that. It's the only way that people come into salvation. Because you, be because you proclaim that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of God, where he reigns right now. All the nations are being put under his feet. Absolutely. He will judge the nations. The only way to escape that judgment, the wrath of God that you deserve for your sin, is to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith and your trust in him, and you will be saved. God is going to do what he is going to do with the nations. Only the gospel saves. And, uh, and so my obedience is to that first and foremost, and I certainly do pray that he would revive America. Would love to see that. Yes, and amen, brother. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Why don't you go ahead and tell us where we can find out more information about you and your work and all that you have going on. So the website is www.utt.com. Uh, that is the main site for when we understand the text. You can find us on Facebook and for the time being on Twitter. <laughs> uh, there is also an Instagram uh, when we understand the text is what you're looking for on, on Instagram. The podcast is five days a week. I do New Testament study on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Old Testament on Thursday. I'm actually going through Song of Songs right now. For those of you who have been looking for a good faithful exposition of the Song of Songs, because there aren't many out there. And then uh, my wife and I do a Q&A on Friday where we take questions from the listeners and respond to that. Sometimes I'll have some stuff on Saturday, and then if I'm able to, we'll take the Sunday school lessons that I teach on Sunday, and we'll put that on the Sunday edition of the podcast. The videos are at youtube.com slash WWUTT, and most of those are 90-second videos dealing with hot topics of the day, including Christian nationalism and examining those from a scriptural perspective. All of that uh, is, is just out of my desire to preach the Word of God in whatever way and medium that the Lord gives me uh, to do that. And I'm grateful. I'm blessed to be able to do this ministry, most especially to be a pastor of a local church. I could not ask for more. Awesome. It's been a lot of fun. Everybody, we've been, we've been talking into Gabriel Hughes. Gabe, thanks so much, man. Thank you, brother. God bless.